stop Ouija. I don't have enough arcane power. Where am I needed? I need fury, not enough hatred. Resupply here! Spawn more overlords. They're taking the point! I can't for me! Yes! Victory! Greetings, friends and fellow gamers. Welcome to this episode of Not Enough Resources, a bi-weekly gaming podcast hosted on roguesportal.com. We apologize for no new episode a couple weeks ago. We were both feeling really under the weather, but that's fine because we are all great now and ready to bring you the best and greatest from around the gaming world. My name is Ryan. You can find me online at Ryan M. Holt pretty much everywhere. And we are, of course, joined by our illustrious co-host, Dylan. Dylan, how are you doing? I'm doing awesome, man. It's been a a wonderful couple of weeks, and uh, I do apologize. Uh, Both of us just... We're real sick last week, um, carried a cough for over two weeks now, but started to feel better and uh, ready to talk gaming. Perfect. Well, let's jump right in and uh, let's hear what have you been playing around with for the past couple of weeks. So I got a couple of days off, uh, and so I decided to jump back in and play a little bit of League of Legends. Uh, with Worlds going on, you know, it was, it was kind of attractive to me again. It's pretty fun. Uh, I've, I've been enjoying it seems like the game state is really good. There's a, a really large champion diversity right now and, and ranked and, and professional play as well. Uh, but I also get to play uh, something I'm a little bit more excited about, and that is some Switch games. I got into Mario Party 8 and Doom. Is Mario Party 8 still just the ultimate RNG game ever? Uh, Yes, it, wait, it's not Mario Party 8. It's just called Mario Party, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's just Super Mario Party or something like that. Okay, yeah, Super Mario Party. I'm sorry, Mario Party, I think it's the Wii one. I played Super Mario Party, um, and there's still some pretty strong RNG elements, especially, like, if it's a if it's a close game, the RNG elements will kind of decide who wins, because at the end, then they award bonus stars, and it'll be like, the most bad things happen to you, you get a star, or uh, you got the most stars, here's a bonus star. But... Uh, the two games that I played were felt pretty balanced. I mean, it seemed like the the better uh, we were playing in teams felt like the better teams won. Uh, but there's a co-op four-player mode where you're like in a raft and all the mini games are cooperative, and that one was really really fun. I loved that. Especially, do you think that's just because like everybody's playing together and it's not so much competition? It's more of you're all just dealing with the chaos and insanity that is the mini games, or yeah, it was definitely that, um, and all of the games required a, like a high amount of verbal communication to be successful. It wasn't just um, like you can't carry the team; you have to work together as a team. Which so it was that like it is you're working together to conquer the mini game, and you're also like you have to row this raft, um, and so you, you do have to physically move to row the raft, but you have to get the timing down. So you have somebody actually calling it, like if you were doing uh, rowing. Which is just kind of fun. Yeah, that is kind of fun and goofy. Um, and the other one you said you played was Doom? Yes, yeah, I got to play the the Doom on the Switch, um, which, I mean, I, I know I've been talking about PS4 versus the Switch, which one am I going to get? Um, and I ended up getting camera equipment instead. I'm still going to hold off, but I, I'm leaning more and more towards the Switch. I, I just haven't had a bad experience on it yet. Doom included was a ton of fun. Um, I'm getting... Con- control of the control scheme and so it was fast violent and and hell on earth which was great 
Um, I, I loved it. What, what have you been up to? What have you been playing? Well, I, I want to go back to Doom real quick. Um, oh, sorry. No, 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 no. It's totally fine. Um, I was curious, how did you play these games? Because, like, that's one thing. Um, not to spoil what we're going to talk about when you ask me what games I've been playing, but I also I got a Switch uh, a couple weeks ago as well. So I've been playing some Switch stuff, too. But I was curious as to, like, how you played these games. Because, like, one thing I have found with the Switch and my experience with it is, depending on how you play them, whether it's on the TV or using the portable version of it, or, you know, each player having one of the Joy-Cons, it kind of, like, modifies the experience. Yeah, absolutely. So I played uh, the Mario Party, Super Mario Party at my friend's house. Um, And so we just played it set up on a larger television and we each had a Joy-Con and uh, one of us had a broken controller and and we just played that way. But then when I was playing Doom, I I got to experience both on the larger screen. Um, It was just me playing. But then I actually, um, I was at my, my parents' house and I woke up kind of early and everybody was still asleep. So I got out the, um, the whole switch in the portable mode, put the Joy-Cons on the side and I went out and sat on the back patio uh, with my dogs running around and, and played Doom out there, uh, which is, was really fun. Like to just have that portability at such like a, a, a like a traditional gaming experience combined with that portability, I guess. Nice, nice. So, um, like I said earlier, I, I got a Switch this past couple weeks. Um, and I, I got a couple demos that I played. Um, one of them I really want to talk about is Captain Toad's Treasure Tracker, which is this, like, really simple puzzle game that, like, the main, like, puzzle element to it is is that you can, like, rotate the camera to, like, see around the stage. And it's weird because, like, Toad can't jump like all the other Mario characters. So it's, it's more about, like, exploring these, like, small, intimate spaces from, like, all of these different angles to find, like, all of the collectibles and accomplish, like, different objectives. It's, it's a lot of fun. I was really enjoying it. But, like, one thing that was really weird is because it's a port of a Wii U game, there's, like, this weird element of, like, point at the screen and, like, control a cursor like you would a mouse And it's just really weird on the Switch because the Switch doesn't have, like, the sensor bar that the Wii U and the Wii had. So it's really hard to kind of, like, get your orientation as to where you should be pointing. Um, Oh, that was really weird. Did that get you, like, turning into the couch, sort of, or, like, being at uncomfortable ankles, like, pretty consistently? Well, I mean, not necessarily, like, turning into the couch. It wasn't, like, full body movement. It was mostly, like, wrist movement and moving your arm. But, like, it, it's just there was no, like, default setting as to where to point. And, like, because you didn't have, like, that, for lack of better terming, center point of gravity, it was really hard to tell, like, where you needed to point to get the game to do what you wanted it to do. Oh, yeah, that's really frustrating. Um I was, I was just, I was asking, so, like, do you remember when Pokemon Go came out, um, and you could, like, play it in the car if somebody else was driving, um, but then, like, if you had on the VR, uh, mode, then it, um, like, you would drive past where you started catching the Pokemon, and so you'd have to, like, turn into the seat to be able to see it, and that was just horrible, 
Um, I just wondered if it was an experience like that, or if it was, but it sounds like it, it was more of just, like, pure orientation is off. Yeah, it was a little weird, but it's, it's still a very good game. Um, I had a lot of fun with it, and, like, I wouldn't be surprised if I eventually buy that game in the next couple months, maybe, like, if I can find it on, like, a Black Friday sale. Nice. Yeah, and then um, the other one I got was Mario Rabbids Kingdom Battle, which this is going to sound like the weirdest thing in the world. It's XCOM? Like, it's a strategy game. It's a turn-based strategy game. It's the weirdest thing in the world because not only is it a turn-based strategy game, but, like, it's a turn-based strategy game where Mario uses, like, a... I don't want to say a gun. It's more like a Mega Man blaster, and, like, Rabbids are there, too. It's, like, the weirdest weirdest combination that like works so are the uh, do you control a squad like it, i if i can remember xcom like you had a squad that you controlled yeah so you control a team of three um at any given time and that three usually it consists of like there are eight characters that you can have on your team it's like mario luigi yoshi and peach and then rabbits versions of mario luigi peach and yoshi so it, i don't know it's very weird and like the peach rabbit is the only one that can heal and like luigi's the sniper and like rabid mario's like the brawler that has like the shotgun area of effect close range thing going on but like one thing that's really cool is how the game utilizes movement because you can like move your character onto a space that contains another one of your ally characters and they can like essentially like use themselves as a pole vault to get you to like other places around the map. So it's not like a traditional like strategy game where it's just, you know, bouncing from cover to cover playing it safe. You know, you're taking a lot more risks because they're the movement options are so much fun and they're better strategically because you can move through an enemy space to do like a slide dash, almost like soccer, to do damage. So you can like run, slide dash, hit your ally, jump over, and then shoot. So like there's like this weird like complicated strategy that you're working out as you're playing. So do you think that we're going to get a more adult nintendo shooter game like it seems like they've been experimenting with like splatoon and and then now this where it's just kind of nintendo versions of and i mean they, they do an excellent job i mean they're nintendo I'm, I'm not knocking them for delving into these genres um but do you think we're gonna see them go deeper i guess um i don't think we'll ever see them do something like like doom or um, you know, like Quake, like anything that like visceral. I want to get Doom or Quake, um, but with like Mario as like the main character, and and crazy yeah. like demon. Oh my gosh, this would be so fun. It would be. Um, I don't think you're gonna get that from Nintendo. I think you might just have to stick to PC games with their crazy modding scene in order to get that specifically. Um. I think that because this game is made by Ubisoft, right? So it's not a Nintendo game. It's made by Ubisoft. Nintendo allowed them to use the Mario license. You know, Nintendo obviously, like, I'm sure sent people to the Ubisoft offices to, like, you know, test for quality and stuff like that. But this is mostly an Ubisoft joint. 
Yeah, right? that's true. Um, so, I don't know. I think it's a golden age of, like, maybe Nintendo not necessarily being so protective of their IP. Um, because, like, just this week, uh, a new game came out called uh, Starlink Battle for Atlas. And it's like this... Um, I've heard it... I've read that it's, like, No Man's Sky, but, like, more kid-friendly, so it's not as dire and, like, as tough. And the Switch version, as an exclusive for Switch content, um, allows you to play as Star Fox in it. And, like, I think you're going to start seeing this cross-pollinization from Nintendo properties into other things. That makes sense, right? Like, if you're going to do a spacefaring shooter... Yeah, Star Fox makes sense for that, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. Well, and again, Nintendo's had such a tight grip on their IP for so long, it's just good to see them loosen that grip, um, especially with some of the stuff we've talked about in the past weeks. Yeah, and I think, I mean, honestly, I think that's one way to allow fans some happiness, and I think it, it allows creators to create better products because... Even if you're, you know, creating, like, a TV show or, like, an XCOM game like Mario Rabbids, right? Where you're creating this really in-depth strategy game, but it's, a, it's still a Mario game, you know? It's like, oh, man, I really want to do this, but, like, I have to remain within the confines and the realms of what Nintendo allows me to do. And I think those restrictions allow people to explore their creativity more. Yeah, I, I once had a, a professor say that... Um it's good to approach like a project and he would put really weird and specific um, uh, restrictions on us on projects and that it provoked creativity basically. So I I do think that it's, I mean, it's healthy for gaming, right? It's, it's going to help us get better games. I agree. Um, Let's segue right into news because I want to talk about what helps us get better games and what helps us make healthier games. And, um, I want to know, Dylan, what, what do you think about this Rockstar conundrum where uh, their CEO did an interview and said, yeah, our employees pull 100-hour work weeks? So I have some mixed feelings about this. I have some feelings that uh, I know a lot of people are probably going to disagree with me, um, and, and I think that's okay. Um, and so the my big thing here is... Um, working in a creative industry and in a creative field, um, and, I, and I've talked to, to some coworkers about this. Um, when I get off from my my eight to five job that I have, I I can go home and continue to work on the same thing that I was working on that eight to five job because I love it so much. And that is not true of every single person um, at my office. And it is not fair to ask every single person that works in your field alongside you because they may not be as uh, committed to it. And while working multiple 100-hour work weeks is super unhealthy and it shouldn't be something that you do all the time, um, I, I think he was describing it from the perspective of how committed everybody was to this project and how much they like it. But it's still a super unhealthy practice and shouldn't be built in as like, um, as a, 
what's what's the word like when a, a company has a certain um, not aesthetic, but like their feeling um, in the workplace, like, like their corporate culture. Corporate culture, yeah. So like it shouldn't be your corporate culture isn't. You shouldn't be bragging about the hey, I just put a hundred hours in because. Um, I don't know if I've talked about it on this show. There's an excellent podcast uh, episode from This American Life that talks about how in the Navy they have that corporate culture of, hey, I just worked 48 hours straight without sleeping, and then I slept three hours and worked 24 more. Um, And that causes millions and millions of dollars in damage when ships collide with each other and even lives are lost. Um, So obviously, like, that's not a healthy thing. Um, especially moving from like the military culture to a, a work culture. But at the same time, like there is to a certain extent, some people that are going to want to keep going and keep working and push themselves in certain instances. And so I think he was trying to embody that with what he said, but at the same time, based on what, 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 what happened with telltale, um, or not, not Telltale, um, but, like, with this Rockstar thing, but also, like, things that I've heard about this industry or, like, from a couple of people that I know that work over at Pixar, that these crazy work weeks uh, are going to kill the video game industry from, like, a... Because there's, there's no talent because everybody burns out by 32. Yeah, and exactly. Like, and, and you don't... Like, you're burning the talent out. There's also, like, there's not enough talent because there's this lack of like building talent because once somebody's identified as talented i think they get picked up and and forced into working on these triple a games and working 100 hour work weeks because they have to not that they choose to and then they get burned out and are done at 32 and go off and and you lose them and you don't want to see that either and that's that's a scary bad thing right but i i struggle with this a little bit because i also understand that like if, if this the CEO here is also working the 100-hour work because this is passion project, I get that. Like, I understand that. I've been there. But you can't, you can't do the thing where um, if you're a person in power and you're working that 100 hours, the people around you are going to feel like they have to as well, even if it's not their passion project because they're scared for their jobs. And that's not okay. I think that's fair. Um, I agree with you to a point. Um, Cause like I, I work in graphic design. That's my normal nine to five job. And then I come home and three nights a week, I'll do graphic design. If I can spare 20 minutes, you know, I'll open up InDesign and I'll work on some stuff. That's just, that's what I like to do when I have free time. It's not just a hobby, but it's a hobby that I've turned into a profession. I don't think that's true of everyone. I think you're absolutely correct on that. Not everybody has that drive. Not everybody has that, you know, some people, if you go to a nine to five and you sit down in front of a computer all day, the last thing you want to do when you get home is sit down in front of the computer. I get that. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a weird pickle that Rockstar has found themselves in because like the other flip side of this is from a PR perspective and from a gaming perspective, like Rockstar very, very, very rarely does interviews to begin with. And like, this is one of their first interviews they've done about Red Dead Redemption. And 
you know, it's it's been on everybody's must-buy list for two and a half years now, ever since it was revealed. And I don't know, like, part of me is, I get it, this team is huge, but, like, if your employees are working 100-hour weeks, is that a sign of dedicated employees or is that a sign of mismanagement? Exactly. And that's that's what I'm, I'm fearing, and that's the blowback, is... Everybody, like, immediately jumped on the mismanagement. And obviously, if you're working multiple hundred-hour weeks, there's definitely mismanagement. Also, like, they're in North America, which is an overworked populace to begin with. We're one of the few, like, developed countries that does a 40-hour work week anymore that doesn't get, like, a single full day off every month on top of, like, regular vacation. Those aren't normal American things. Um, And so there has to be some level of mismanagement if... Both because of the bragging thing, which I talked about, is a bad thing, especially coming from leadership, but also because of the um, – you're embodying that cor- corporate culture, I guess, um, and it's bad, in my opinion. But Well, what do you think about how this relates to the need and the wants of the consumer? Because that's another thing that I've seen come up around this conversation that I really want to dive into is if you buy a Red Dead Redemption game that's supposed to be, oh man, this is Rockstar, they make these really great open world games that are supposed to be, you know, 60 to 80 hours worth of content, like, are gamers too demanding? I think that the technology has hit a point um, where we can put more into a game, but it it, we haven't hit a point where like we can do it as efficiently as we used to. It takes a lot more time because of how precise game design can be. And so as consumers, because we've seen like what you can do, the level of animation and control you can do, and that like we've hit this point where video games can be as good as we put time into them. And I think gamers are very demanding expecting multiple AAA titles every single year. And at the current point, if they want a game to be as good as as something like Red Dead Redemption 2 is, is probably going to be, um, at least from a design perspective, it's, it's going to be that good, then they're going to need to lighten their expectation for how fast it can come out, or they need to lower their expectation for content. Because... The amount of time that it takes to do an animation. I mean, if you just think about an animation, an animated sequence. This isn't a video game where you have to animate for every single possible decision a player can make from every single point in the game. This is like just a regular... Think about how long it takes to put together a, a frame-by-frame animation. You have to do 24 drawings. And the more detailed that you do each drawing, the longer each drawing takes. And then multiply that by like... Again, taking into game form and having place for every single decision a player could make in every moment of the game and having that animation. That's just the animation. That's not the coding behind it. That's not uh, the writers trying to put together a storyline and the interaction. That's not the voice acting that goes into it or the the motion actors that they, that they started to do. If you really break down each and every step of the process the number of hours that go into making an 80 hour game. I mean, what do you, what do you think like one hour of, of gameplay equals in man hours? I, I don't know, but just like estimate. 
Um, one hour of gameplay. I would say estimate in man hours at least. I would say at least seven hundred man hours for one hour of gameplay. I, I think that's pretty fair. I mean, especially considering I mean, because like between you know animation, between rendering, between design guys, between controlling, like. And that's the thing is, like, you, you were bringing up, like, the animation thing where it's, like, you know, you have to draw one picture one picture 24 times with slight changes to get one second of animation. And that's a lot of work. But, like, the other flip side of this is, like, there are other things you have to take into account from a gaming side of things. Like, in traditional 2D animation, even in 3D animation... Um, you know, as far as, like, film is concerned and things like that, is ultimately that's all being projected on a 2D surface. So, like, you can hide things in your animation, but, like, in video games, players expect direct control of the camera. So not only do you have to make sure your animation looks good, you have to make sure it looks good from every conceivable angle. Like, there's there's a lot. I would say about, yeah, for, like, an hour of solid gameplay, coding the final product, yeah, I'd say probably about... 700 man hours yeah and and just for like for an eng which is like a news style thing just for the editing you take about an hour per minute and that's like the most basic for like editing video and and again the the process that we're talking about is so much more complicated than something like that 700 is is probably a really fair number I honestly, the more I think about it, I think it's actually on the low end. And and I think yeah, uh, like the more I think about it, the more I think it's on the low end as as well. For like an an hour, we're talking about an hour. It's a very long time. Um, well, it's a lot of game content. And if you look at some of the smaller games that only have an hour of content, that have like a three or four man team, those guys worked for at least a year on it, right? Like, it's a lot of work, and. As a gamer, I'm not uh, like I guess here like and uh, I mean as the consumer, then I think we need to be more patient, and I think that's true across the board. We need to be more patient with things. Um, if you have to wait for your cell phone to load for a couple more seconds while it gets an internet connection from a satellite, that's totally fine. Yeah, I I agree. I think that as consumers, we're expected. Oh, look! Here's the announcement of a game. And at the end of this announcement, here's the date it comes out. And all of a sudden, that's it. That's the firm hard date. That is when I expect my media. Yeah, I I agree. That's an excellent point. I I think the other thing that we should probably talk about here is the making video games, especially these large AAA games like this, uh, is super risky business. Um, Just like making a movie is. These projects take a really long time to put together and make and make them well. And you don't know if you're going to make that money back. And so you're investing, again, 700 hours worth of money. So let's say that on average, that 700 hours is $22 per person. That's a lot of money. Higher higher than that. Way higher. Than it's that. way higher than Okay, like av- average pay per person. Let's say it's it's. Thirty-five. Twenty-seven fifty, thirty, somewhere. Thirty, thirty dollars. Yeah. Okay. So thirty times seven hundred times 
uh, how, how many hours did we say Red Dead was? 40? Story mode is 40, but, like, that's the thing is, like, that's, that's, like, I don't know. It's hard to quantify these open games as far as, like, how many hours you get, because, like, my brother is not a huge gamer. He's still playing Grand Theft Auto V. That game came out, like, five years ago. He's probably put close to 700 hours into it. I've put close to, you know, 1,500 hours into Fallout. Yeah, well, plus a lot of these games, uh, some of the content gets canned. It doesn't make it into the like what the players see. But my my point is is that like if you if you really think about how much money it costs to make the game that you have to make back as the distributor, then um, and as as the producer of the game, then waiting two or three years on a game that might be a bust is it's terrifying. Because you've been paying a large group of people for two or three years to make something in hopes that it's going to make its money back plus more, plus more money to put in, in your own pocket, right? If you're, if you're at the top um, or if you're a group of investors, if it's a corporation. And so as, as, the, as the user, like we need to keep these things in mind and both what we're demanding, because again... Uh, think about it as an art. We've talked about it. We've firmly argued for the fact that video games is art. Um, there's a lot of technical aspects and know-how behind it. But we have to be aware of the fact that demanding these games every year, and then if it's bad and then we don't buy it, then... I, I don't know. Like, I mean, and I'm not saying, like, I mean, it, it's their responsibility to make a good game. But there's a reason why they try to put these faster turnaround dates and usually it ends up being a bad video game. And this is like a problem, both like there's a lack of talent or they're not willing to pay talented people enough money um, or to train people to get them to the point that they're talented enough. There's not really like, it feels like you have all these indie games that are usually 2d, usually are small, small teams working on them and have less than 10 hours of content for just like a straightforward playthrough. And then you have these AAA titles that have a lot of time playthrough, a huge animation investment because they're all 3D open world, crazy big games as far as like the amount of content used to make them. And there's not that middle ground to like build the talent so that you have enough people working on those big games to get a year long turnaround. That's just kind of, I mean, that's that's how I'm thinking of it. And so that's this is a huge problem for that industry itself it's a huge problem for a lot of creative industries and it's why people end up that people that don't want a hundred hour work week end up working a hundred hour work week i think yeah well and like i i definitely agree that like i think a huge problem that gaming has now not so much like even one generation ago on the xbox 360 playstation 3 era and things like that is like there's no mid-level developers anymore they're all gone. It's like income inequality in the middle class. Well, and yeah, I mean, I think, you know, that's that's a little too on the nose, but I think that that's, that's a huge... <laughs> Sorry. Well, no, it's fine. I just, I, I think that's a huge problem as far as, you know, wanting this industry to succeed and wanting, you know, these passion projects and, you know, wanting these things to happen, you know? Well, and I think there's also, I don't, look at the way that video games are sold. So they're all sold at the same price, regardless of how much content is in them. 
And so that's why you can't have like the middle ranged games because like the the um, the like C tier games right are all like ten dollars or less. Like you get them on your phone or on a Steam sale, or they're they're part of like the Xbox um, and PlayStation markets and things. But there's not like a thirty dollar, forty dollar on release because there's not as much content as your sixty dollar game, and that's like a problem too. I think. Yeah, definitely. Well, and I think it also gets into like that bigger question that ultimately comes back to our favorite topic on this podcast is is loot boxes right you know these games cost so much money to make and you know can you really recoup these millions of dollars in you know paying employees and not only paying employees but make sure that they have the proper equipment to work on and make sure that they have health care and make sure that you know you keep the lights on in the building and things like that can you really recoup that much off of $60 single purchases i mean especially i mean i would assume that we're we're talking about an office with multiple probably $10,000 pc setups oh easily easily like multiple like dozens and that's i mean and then powering all of that like keeping the lights on keeping those keeping your computer i mean think about how much your computer draws and energy your television and your your xbox your playstation all that stuff per year like is a huge overhead cost on top of the talent itself and again if there's uh there's not enough talent then your top tier talent is getting overpaid um and you don't have that money to spend on training people at the low end either. So what's the solution? Um, well, I mean, I, I really do think there needs to be some sort of like middle market kind of gaming that needs to exist. Um, I think that as we've discussed before, we need to kind of identify that there's a difference between these huge story crafted games um, and like a service game and how service games make their money. Like I think Battlefront 2 might have been more successful if it was free uh, and and had the same like the on-release loot box system um, versus having to pay for it and then having to pay again as you play. Um, or or same thing like FIFA and Madden, those games could be services and that's a much better way to like you're st- you're gonna be stable and making your money instead of having to invest in making the whole new game every year. Which, I mean, I know people are still paying for that um, service every year. They'll buy the brand new game for the new rosters, but I think... And let's be fair, those people are people that aren't listening to this podcast. That's true, yeah. Um, But, like, between that and then something like Red Dead, like, paying $60 for Red Dead totally makes sense to me. Um, Paying more than $60, honestly, I mean... Don't, don't tell anybody I said this, but that makes sense to me. Uh, paying $60 for FIFA every year is insane to me. Like, that makes zero sense. Especially when they're not updating, like, the um, the engine itself. That makes no, honest, no sense to me. Um, and we don't have this differentiation of that in how we buy games and how games are sold to us. It's kind of like... Um, similar to i mean you have like specialty theaters that show more independent films and things um or theaters like the alamo draft house that show like movies that have been out for a while um as well as your independent films and then you have namc which is like all your big blockbusters and stuff tickets still cost about the same um but that's because movies 
are about the same amount of time, regardless if it's if it's an independent film or if it's not. But like, you can also go to a, a small like a, a play theater where you watch a play, um, and a small play theater is going to cost less than going and seeing the the play theater like the big play in the um, in at the Denver Performing Arts Center because they're they're different. And I think we can look at video games in a similar way, and that there can be that mid tier game. That's ten hours of gameplay. It's well designed. It's three D graphics. It's a story game, um, but it's not open world. It's just like that straightforward playthrough. And I think that's where we can rebuild that the middle class of talent um, that will produce like a much healthier environment for employees and also for gamers as well, as far as getting their content. So I know one thing that you keep bringing up and keep talking about, which I think is very interesting point to all of this is distribution methods and how games are sold and how we as consumers, you know, interact with those systems and things like that. What happens in five years when GameStop is no longer around? I mean, everything will be a digital download at that point, I think. And I think at that... Well, and at that point, like, where where everything's a digital download is we're going to have to you know, marketplaces are going to have to get completely reinvented. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also, I mean, we're going to have get, gamers are going to have like a data problem as far as like physically a, being able to store the amount of video. I mean, you go into somebody's house and you see they have a wall of DVD sized cartridges with video games in them. Right. And like you couldn't, I mean, that's a lot of hard drives. <laughs> yeah. Well, and like, Red Dead Redemption 2 uh, just came out. How big the, that game's going to be? That game is 99 gigabytes. Yeah, which is insane. I mean, just World of Warcraft, I think, is over 200 at this point or something. I wouldn't be surprised. I haven't checked, but I wouldn't be surprised. It's it's massive. Um, so, like, that's, that's, that's going to be an issue as far as hardware goes. But as far as, like, the distribution method, both... Um, I basically, I think Steam does an excellent job as far as, like, visibly being able to see, like, the new stuff that's available, the indie stuff doesn't get tamped down so far that you can't see it at all, um, while the the bigger stuff gets plenty of screen time, just like if you go and do a GameStop uh, right now. Um, I think that's going to be kind of how we're going to have to see the market. But one thing that I've always loved about Steam is um, sometimes at the end of the month, hey, I got... 20 extra dollars in my budget that I saved somewhere, I can spend that on a $20 game, or I can spend a different month, it's $5, so I buy a $5 game. And that's that's the kind of like diversity that I'm that I'd like to see come to console gaming specifically. I think that that's the the real distribution problem is affecting console gaming way more than it affects PC gaming. Um, and it's also just because like it doesn't cost anything to flip the switch on the price of a digital download where telling all of the game stops to change the price on your game by X amount is like, that's a chore. That's a thing you have to do. I mean, there's a reason why years and years after the GameCube um, was no longer a thing. Cause the Wii had been out, you would go into like a super target and they would have Mario Kart Double Dash, and it was still $50. And it's because Nintendo never lowered the price on that game. And they couldn't, like, as Target, couldn't lower the price because it was closed. Same thing, if the game is closed at GameStop, um, that's that's why you can't, like, 
return it or trade in a game that hasn't been opened. Um, though, like, some of it's because they think that you stole it, but some of it's also because, like, they can't put it back on the shelf and set it as the closed game price. So, like, that's, I think, a big problem with distribution, but I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. That's just kind of what I think and uh, how, how I look at it is, like, I do think Steam does a good job in realizing, like, how to present it all to us, and it also makes it so the developers have way more control over price. They can put out sales when they want to, when they think they can get the get more money back. Like when you buy a twenty year old game, some of that is still if you're buying a digital copy of it, some of that is still going to the original, like many the people that made it. And whereas, like when you go and buy a used game at GameStop, GameStop's getting all of that money, which is one of the GameStop problems, but. I don't know. I mean, like, do you? What do you? How do you think? What do? You, what is a GameStop-free world? I mean, and do you also think it's going to be like Walmart and Target aren't going to carry stuff too? Um, I think Walmart and Target will still carry stuff, but I think eventually it's all going to go digital. I think GameStop will go in the next five to ten years easily. That'll be great. It'll be sunsets and margaritas every day for that year. It'll be awesome. GameStop will finally be gone, which I'm excited about. What is it? secondary market is that what the term is um, yeah i think is it's damaging to things that i've talked about it with like how hearthstone card prices all of the cards depending on the rarity they cost the same whereas magic the gathering the effectiveness of the card affects the secondary market and so that's really uh, irritating to me as a consumer and gamestop does the same thing and so getting rid of that leech on on the system, I think is good. Yeah, especially because all of that money doesn't go to developers. Exactly. It blows my mind how much developers cozy up to GameStop. It just, it absolutely blows my mind. Well, and and that, like, I, I don't I, and and I honestly think, thinking about it, um, I feel kind of bad because there's a lot of games that I do just wait until people are bored with them and they sell them back. I've never bought a fresh copy of, uh, well, and it's EA, so... I mean, I don't feel bad about that, but, like, I buy, like, the FIFA from, like, two or three years ago, or the Madden from two or three years ago, because I don't need the newest one. Um, yeah, you just want to play a football game. I just want to play, yeah, I just want to play a football or a soccer game, and those, those are the best ones. Uh, I mean, PES is pretty good, too. Yeah, I, I, I think it's going to be great. Uh, speaking of greatness, let's jump into competitive corner. How, how, are, how are worlds going, Dylan? They're so hyped! Everything is so good. Cloud Nine, the West. Oh, whew. What, do, what do we want to talk about first? We want to talk about group stage ending. We want to talk about plans. There's a lot. There's a lot of League of Legends content to talk about. I saw uh, Team Liquid got eliminated. Okay, so we can we can start with some sad stuff first. So Team Liquid, uh, which were the first seed out of NA, they won both the spring and the summer split. Uh, first time Team Liquid's ever done it. It's a team of NA stars. Their, their two imports are Impact and, and Olay, and they've both been in the LCS for a couple of years, so they, they feel kind of like locals at this point. They got knocked out of their group. They had a group that they were very capable of getting out of, uh, in, in my opinion, and they I watched those games today, actually, and I'm a little bit sad because they didn't make it, but uh, I think Doublelift said it best that to win League of Legends this year, it's the team that gels together the best. It's the team that is 
that thinks the same and is making the same decision about the game and, and that that decision is right the majority of the time that's going to come out with the W. And that's not the liquid that I saw. However, it is the Fnatic and the G2 and the Cloud9 that I've seen at this world so far that are pushing the limits and playing aggressively instead of trying to adapt and play uh, a meta that is not their own and playing timid and trying to play your enemy's game instead they're playing their own. And it's been a wonderful to watch. Well, I'm sure that's super, super refreshing. That's one thing I always love about um, watching foreigners and StarCraft play in the Korean StarCraft League because they just try crazy stuff to see what sticks. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but it's always fun to watch. Yeah, and I, I think that was kind of what Liquid suffered from. Um is they looked like they weren't sure of themselves. Basically every game and what they were doing. Um, their their star jungler, uh, Smithy, who's been around for a while, I think he's a very capable jungler, um, didn't look like he was on the same page a lot of the time. Um, same thing like Pole Belter, who this is his second international um, showing uh, this year, has not really like looked up to snuff from the mid lane. And I think that combination is, is kind of... It identifies some of the problems that, that NA as a region have, but also just, like, you got to try the crazy stuff. I mean, they're, everybody kind of agrees that, like, the Koreans and, and the Chinese are doing, doing the game right, and if we're... and that we're doing the game wrong, but trying to play... We're not going to win at their game, because there are, that's what they do all year. Yeah, absolutely. It's David and Goliath, and like I said, always entertaining to watch. Um, so do you have any, I know you don't really have like a dog in the fight because you're not a big League of Legends follower, but I'm assuming you're cheering for Cloud9 both because they're NA and because they're the London Spitfire. Yes, absolutely. I want to see an NA team win. I have been watching a little bit here and there. I still don't understand all of the meta completely, but, you know, I, I've played enough MOBAs and, you know, the original Dota when it was a War 3 mod to put together that stuns are bad and people dying and steamrolling. Like, I can follow it well enough. Um, I would like to see an NA team win because I think when NA teams win in anything that's an esports related, it just helps the scene as a whole grow. Yeah, I, I think uh, you get to see stuff like spots on ESPN when that sort of thing happens, especially this year. I mean, the event is in South Korea, which is not great for your sleep schedule, but super good for, uh, for like, going in and, and kicking ass in, in the, the OG's house, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I will say one thing I miss. Uh, when my son was younger, like, during the first month and a half uh, he was born, he would always have a feeding at, like, 3 a.m., which sucked, but, like, I would just turn on Twitch and watch Koreans just wreck each other at StarCraft. And it was great, because I would have something to do while I fed him, because it's 3 a.m. in the morning. Yeah, well, and... But not in Korea. Not in Korea, and that's a hype way to stay awake, you know? Like, ugh. So, when this, this podcast is released, then we'll have finished our one side of the bracket tonight. Um, and that's not the... I think it's G2... KT Rolster, and then two other like two other teams. I can't remember what they are right now. But and then but after after the podcast comes out, 
uh, which is Saturday night. Um, then we're going to get to see Cloud9 play as well as Fnatic play, who is the, the European team that I think also could has a chance at winning the whole thing. Uh, Cloud9 is, is the biggest underdog, I think, in, in the tournament currently, but I mean, they can do it based on what I've seen so far. Yeah, they're definitely underdogs, I would agree. Uh, there's a lot of talk on the Overwatch side of things. Yeah, I heard there were some movers and shakers uh, over at uh, over at Spitfire. What's going on there? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so they uh, released one of their players closer. He was one of their backup flex supports, and then they signed two more. One is a complete unknown, who goes by the handle Krillin. Um, he's a DPS, and then they hired another flex support as well. But there's just been movements all over the league. It's not just them. Um, the LA Valiant released one of their best DPS players. He's French, so he's probably headed to the Paris team, I would imagine. But yeah, they, they released soon, which like I don't think anybody saw coming. He was one of their best players, one of their most celebrated players. Um, you know, he always got the crowd riled up whenever he would land a headshot the entire audience would just yell soon and like i i don't know i i was really really shocked by that you have to wonder personality issues at that point that's uh hmm i mean possibly i do i do have a question so is is krillin gonna go in first and then when krillin dies then they'll put in a different dps like profit or birdering yeah i don't know maybe that sounds about right like like somebody with and and then profit or birdering's hair will, will glow yellow and their eyes will turn green yeah, and they'll just wreck. I mean, I'd be okay with that. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting. Sorry. The other thing that's really um, going to be really cool is um, the winner of uh, the South Korean Overwatch Contenders League. Um, Overwatch Contenders is essentially the minors, to use a baseball analogy. The South Korean winners, um, for the past two years, uh, their entire team has been signed by somebody. That's unannounced, though, or...? Yeah, they don't know which team, but uh, their general manager came out and said all six of their players have been signed to the same team. Um, rumors are it's the Toronto team or the DC team. Well, but didn't like Dallas drop like everybody but one person or something too? Is there's a team that uh, that was Shanghai? Shanghai dropped everybody but three. Oh, they won't go there though. They'll okay. They'll probably go to one of the new ones. But you think Shanghai will pick up Koreans? Shanghai has two Koreans on them. <laughs> two out of three of their teams Korean right now. That's true. They might round it out. Yeah, I don't know, but it'll be really interesting. I'm expecting uh, in a couple weeks when BlizzCon uh, comes around that we'll get an announcement on the other, like the new teams and everything. But uh, the one thing that did come out is uh, the league structure for season two is going to change drastically. The big thing is instead of. Um, playing 40 matches in a season each team is only going to play 26 and that means uh, teams will have bye weeks and off weeks which will be kind of nice because i think it'll help prevent burnout and then the other thing is is they're still going to do like the four stage system they're going to drop the fourth stage playoffs and just replace it with the grand finals and then they're going to do the all-star matches in between stage two and stage three so just like some weird systematic reworks going on. But I think it'll make overall for a better experience for viewers and a better experience for players. But it also saddens me because that means 
that the Shanghai Dragons are going to go down as the worst team in Overwatch League history with a whopping record of 0-40. and 40. Because now that they've moved to a 26-game structure for the season, the worst anybody can do is still 0-26. Well, and imagine if Shanghai comes in and loses like their first three games, and they're basically 0-43 at that point. Yeah, well, and that's the other thing is like three of the new teams are from China as well. So, like, what if the Shanghai Dragons aren't even the first Chinese team to get a win? Ouch. Um, I, I do I do have a question about Overwatch in general. Um, so, in, in League of Legends, we have uh, what we call the unofficial world champion title. Um, and it's a... Basically, after the first League of Legends Worlds, um, which Fnatic won, then the trophy gets passed to the first team to beat Fnatic after they won the world championship. And then oh, that would be so cool. And then that so the unofficial title gets passed on and on and on and like sometimes it doesn't even go to worlds because it's on a team that won it but didn't didn't make it into worlds but like won it before worlds started. So yeah, it's so it's the unofficial world championship. So I I wonder what Overwatch is. is. I guess they've only had one one since the Overwatch League started, um, unless you want to count yeah the other stuff. Yeah, well, and the other thing that's really cool is like because we're in off season right now, like all the teams are doing fun stuff. Um, so like London Spitfire right now, they're all Koreans. They're all in London right now. So check out the London Spitfire Twitter if you want to see some really great pictures of like seven really Korean guys just having a ton of fun in London. So that's fun. But the other thing is, is a bunch of teams are organizing like show matches in places that aren't California. So that's kind of cool that they're kind of like getting that outreach going. Yeah. I like that they're, they're marketing like only for themselves, but like it's, it's marketing for the Overwatch league and that, I mean, that's super similar to um, not uh, traditional sports, but it's super similar to soccer where uh, they, they'll they go, like, big teams will go and do, like, a circuit in another country. So Liverpool um, came and played a bunch of, because when they were owned by the Red Sox, they came and played against a bunch of MLS teams and played against the U.S. national team, um, or the MLS All-Stars and stuff like that. And so it's good to see the Overwatch is already starting to do that in order to kind of spread the market. Yeah, and like tomorrow night, the London Spitfire are going to be doing a show match in London against a majority of players from the Houston Outlaws. And I think like maybe one sub from a different team. In San Francisco, they're doing a show match um, between the LA Valiant and the San Francisco Shock. I think that one's next week. But like, I think it's really cool that these teams are A, really starting to like branch out and B, like... They're, they're taking their off-season seriously, and they not only want to succeed as athletes and as a team, but they also want Overwatch League to succeed as a whole. Yeah, that's it. That's I agree with you. Okay. Well, Dylan, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Um, do you have any parting words of wisdom? Uh, make sure you get your daily vitamin C uh, plus some so that not only you don't get scurvy, but it helps your immune system feel better, too. Yeah, which is great because, like, it's flu season and you don't want to get the flu. Yeah, flu is gross and I hate it. Well, thank you so much, Dylan. Um, As always, you know, when you get home and you're playing games, 
just remember that everybody you're playing with is doing the same thing. Everybody's there to have fun. So remember, when you log on, be kind to your fellow gamers. Have a great one.